Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Sean Allen. Sean is a full-time independent iOS contractor, and you may also know him from his YouTube channel where he publishes videos about the life of an iOS developer. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, Garrick. Thanks for having me. You've had some uh, heavy hitters on the show, so I feel honored uh, to be here. Yeah. All right. I'm happy to have you on, and thank you for saying that nice thing about me. It makes me feel pretty good. <laughs> so I have to be honest with you, Sean, and everybody out there listening. I stayed up pretty late last night for um, someone's engagement party. I didn't get home until, I don't know, 4 or 5, and I didn't fall asleep until... The sun was already coming up. So I told Sean, hey, man, can we just like push the episode a couple hours? And I drink some coffee and I'm still feeling tired. But I am going to try my hardest to bring the energy on this episode. I promise you that. What do you think about that, Sean? <laughs> you got to power through. I don't know. I don't know how old you are, Garrick, but I know I'm getting up there. I'm about 36 and uh Hangovers don't do me too well. <laughs> it's like two, two days now to recover. So I, I feel your pain. I am 33. When I was 23, I could sleep on someone's couch and not get sick. But when I do that now, I definitely get sick. Yeah, those days are long gone for me. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Uh, Sean, as I said, is an independent, uh, full-time independent iOS contractor. He makes YouTube videos. And um, I had reached out to my Slack team uh, a couple months ago asking them, you know, hey guys, who do you want me to interview? And I'm going to pull up a couple of messages and a bunch of people mentioned your name. It's kind of funny if I mention or if I search for your name in my Slack team, there's at least like nine places where your name comes up, which is funny because I didn't know like, but the, the first one is um, Jay Mutsafi, uh, the founder of Learn Swift Portland. He mentioned your name in August and he's like, yo, check out you know, check out Sean Allen's YouTube videos. And then, um, then I think when I asked people, oh, it looks like um, Bass Chord, um, Brian uh, Mao, I believe his last name is. Uh, he also mentioned your uh, YouTube videos. Let's see, Jay mentioned the iOS interview questions and answers. Um, Brian mentioned iOS interview coding challenge video. And then when I asked people, like, who should I interview? Brian Basecord mentioned, what about Sean Allen? He does this cool YouTube vlog thing. And then I guess you were on the Fireside Swift show, maybe? Uh, not quite yet. We're actually recording here in uh, in four hours. So I'm doing two podcasts today. Oh my God, I better not take up too much of your time. <laughs> and this is my first ever podcast. So that'll be my second ever podcast. So sure, you're just a warm up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's kidding. a good warm up. <laughs> And yeah, so I see like Michael Charland is mentioning your name. Zach is mentioning Zach Falgu, the one of the hosts of Fireside Swift, is mentioning your name. Yeah, I interact um, with Zach a lot. He uh, he he posts comments on the YouTube uh, videos and also uh, participates in the live streams I do every Sunday. So yeah, I've, I've talked with Zach a lot. Oh wow, what's this live stream you do on Sundays? Uh, so every Sunday, I just hop on 9 a.m. I didn't do it today, so my audience might be a little mad at me. <laughs> but uh, typically every Sunday, uh, I hop on and just do a live stream. Um, I I'm kind of experimenting right now with with what I how I want to do it. You know, sometimes we do live coding, sometimes I'll do some design work, live stuff. Sometimes I'll review one of my subscribers. Like they'll send me a screen and I'll review, you know, that view controller, just talk about some best coding practices. 
sometimes it's just a Q&A or sometimes I'll have a topic I want to talk about and then I restrict the Q&A to that topic. Uh, so I'm still experimenting with a, a lot of different ways to keep it interesting. Um, but yeah, it's fun. I like doing the live stuff. I think that is a great idea. I've thought about doing more uh, live content. I've kind of done some live stuff on this podcast where like, I'll bring up a different guest like randomly in the middle of the show, kind of live. It has this live kind of feel like radio waves <laughs> or something like that, you know? KPCC, you know, like you call her number one. And uh, so, yeah, I, I like that idea of like having this live, more interactive, uh, keeping it keeping it fun, keeping it interesting. Yeah, it's fun. I get about, so my channel has about 8,500 subscribers. I just started it back in March. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that later. But uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I average about 50 to 60, 40, 50, 60, somewhere in there, uh, concurrent users at a time. So it's kind of crazy, you know, 50, 60 people watching you live code. My, my one live coding video uh, did not go so well. It was my first time ever trying it. Uh, it's just a lot to juggle. If you've done live stuff, you know, you're, you're trying to, and maybe this is just my self-conscious, but you're trying to make sure the audience is like entertained and not just watching you stare at a screen. So trying to like code and figure out a problem while also trying to like talk to the audience and try to reach out, it's just a lot to juggle. So live coding is tough, but it was fun. Yeah, that's uh, really cool that you have that many people engaged live. Uh, even my meetups, um, I barely get that many people. I mean, like we do weekly meetups and those will get like 20 people. If I do big meetups like Swift Coders, the one we just had at uh, Tinder, that had 60 people. But to do like a live video and 60 people are joining you, that's awesome. And I do understand how it can be um, challenging to juggle all that. What you could possibly do is have like a co-host or like an assistant or something and they maybe field questions that people are like asking in the comments section. Um, and then obviously, yeah, like it's hard to keep people engaged. You just got to like ask the right questions, ask your audience, um, you know, ask them questions and see if they're listening, you know? Yeah, it's a good idea about the co-host. I didn't think about that. Well, I wish you luck with that. That stuff sounds cool. I'd um, like to see where it goes. Uh, the last thing is uh, I think Ramiro Lopez, shout out to Ramiro. He mentioned you and uh, someone named Jack Carter mentioned you. And yeah, so it's kind of cool. I looked at like my Slack team and like, I remember somebody mentioned Sean Allen. So let me go look at my Slack team and like every, there's like, all, you know, your name's everywhere. So it's kind of cool. So anyways, I wanted to have uh, Sean on because of, uh, you know, someone had suggested. And then also you um, Twitter DM'd me and you kind of like introduced yourself. And I mean, you tell that kind of that part. Uh, yeah, so Honestly, so I have this whole like roadmap for my YouTube channel, right? And I was going to, once I hit 10K subs, that's when I was going to start reaching out to the podcast people um, to start, you know, telling my story on there. Because also I felt like I had something else to offer. Like, hey, you know, I have 10,000 people wanting to learn Swift watching my channel. I can also, you know, it's, we're kind of cross promoting each other, so to speak, um, as well as having a great conversation, obviously. Um, so I was going to wait till 10K, but then, and I'm almost there, but then I saw you post on Twitter looking for you know, somebody to interview, like one, it was a couple weeks ago, obviously. Um, so I was like, oh, I guess he's looking for people to interview. I'll, I'll throw my name in the hat. I'm, I'm close enough to 10K. Uh, uh -huh. So yeah, so I just reached out to you and, and I knew uh, Swift Summit was coming up. Um, so I thought maybe we might be able to get together then, but it uh, didn't work out. I understand you were probably quite busy during those two days. Right on. Yeah, I was very busy. I was at the conference the whole time, pretty much backstage. I'm looking at your YouTube channel right now. As at the time of this recording, 8544, 8,544 subscribers. Awesome. Congratulations. Good Thank for you. you. That's really cool. And I'm also looking at your YouTube page. I'm trying to think of which Sean I like better. Hat <laughs> and beard, uh, no hat and beard, or no hat, no beard. I don't see hat, no beard. 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I, I've gotten comments because whenever you grow a beard, you go through the awkward beard face where it's not quite long enough to look good. So that was embarrassing to kind of go through, you know, and putting that all out on YouTube. It's kind of funny if you look in the comments, I get a lot of, a lot of beard comments, but it's also interesting how it's funny how stuff happens. You know, I, I didn't, this is my first time ever trying to grow a beard. I won't go too far on the beard topic. Obviously <laughs> people aren't here to listen to that, but, uh, so I didn't know there's like a whole world of beard products out there. And yeah. actually one of my subscribers was like telling me all about it. He's like super into beard. So I uh, kind of learned something from him that was like non-programming related. So it's kind of funny. Well, what are you doing now? Are you doing beard or no beard? Uh, right now I'm going beard. I'm going through the rest of the year. Nice. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go till January 1st and then reassess the situation. Right on, right on. Okay, so uh, yeah, so that's why, um, that's how Al, um, Sean is on uh, the show today. Um, so we talked a little bit about your YouTube videos. Um, just briefly kind of tell us about your independent contract work. Uh, yeah, so I'll tell you how I, <clears throat> I'll kind of tell a little bit of that backstory because I kind of fell into it by accident. So my first job out of my boot camp, um, we'll probably get into, uh, was at a startup and I was there for about a year and a half. But on the side, I was doing contracting just because I wanted to just learn more, right? When you're working at one company, you're only working on one app, one code base. And as everybody listening knows, there's a whole wide variety of stuff that, you know, you can work on. Uh, so I wanted to just learn as much as possible. So I started doing very small contracts on the side. Um, and then once my time had kind of run up at that other startup, I was there for about a year and a half. Uh, long story short, Facebook had reached out to me um, about the interview process. And uh, I decided to go all in to learn uh, all the computer science stuff you need to interview at a big company like that. So while I was like interview prepping, I, oh, I like quit my job. Don't, I don't recommend that. I, I quit my job without having a job lined up just to 100% focus on the interview process and interviewing. Um, cause I don't have a computer science background. So all that whiteboarding computer science stuff was all foreign to me. I had to learn all that from scratch. So that's what I focused on. Anyway, to answer your question about how I got into contracting during this time of me going through all these interviews, um, like I said, I'd quit my job. So I picked up a couple more small contracts along the way just to pay the bills while I wasn't getting an income. And uh, long story short, the, those major companies didn't work out. Uh, I wasn't quite ready for it uh, yet. But uh, during that time, I just had picked up enough contracts. I was like, well, maybe I'll give this a try full time. And uh, so that's kind of how it accidentally happened. And through my uh, my bootcamp alumni Facebook group, somebody randomly posted one time like, hey, we have a, a quick contract. Anybody looking for some side work? And uh, <clears throat> I jumped on it. And now here I am with that same development agency, like six contracts later. Now I'm like their main iOS guy uh, and they keep feeding me uh, all kinds of work. Um, and then I have a couple other just, you know, side contracts. So right now I'm on four contracts at once. My, my max was five contracts and that was just craziness. I, I don't recommend doing that. So, so yeah, I kind of fell into it accidentally when I was on the job hunt, just kept gathering contracts. And before I knew it, I had enough to go full time. So you work full time, um, do like that, that's your main gig and you know, it pays all your bills, I, but I don't understand. So you work for an agency or you're like your own sort of independent person and then you find your own contracts. Uh, so both actually. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm independent even with the agency. I'm not like an employer of that agency. So I'm 1099. So basically like a development agency will find contracts or startups, uh, to build their app for. And then they have a team of, you know, a bunch of iOS developers, Android developers, web developers. And, uh, from that team, you know, you, you build the app if they want an Android app and an iOS app, a web app, all that stuff. So of that team, I'm the main iOS guy on that team. So Basically, any project that comes through that needs an iOS app, uh, I get assigned to it if I have the bandwidth for it. Okay, so right now you're saying you're juggling four iOS projects that are all in Swift. 
Correct. Yeah. So, so three of them are through that agency. So like I said, that agency works with probably 10 to 15 different companies. Um, so three of the projects are through that agency. And then my one project, which is kind of turned into my main project is through like a personal contact I had. So that's just, there's no agency involved in that one. That's just me and them working it out together. Okay, cool. Uh, real quick. I wanted to bounce back to mentioning uh, like the no plan B. Uh, <laughs> you said that you quit your job and I got this sort of idea from Andy Hope. Shout out to mm-hmm. my co MC at Swift Summit, Andy Hope. Uh, I know. I'll, he, t- I'll have to tell you the story about how I met Andy. It's kind of funny. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So he quit his job, I believe, um, that he was working in, in Melbourne, I think, and he quit his job and just moved to the States. Or I think he, he quit his job and then started studying for like these coding challenges, these interview um, interviews. Mm-hmm. And then like no plan B, you know, it's like I have to get a job at one of these big companies. And then uh, he he moved to San Francisco and got, you know, got a job. I don't know if he's announced where he uh, where he, he landed yeah, yet. He, has. He, he announced it publicly? Yeah, well, okay. he did on Twitter. I assume that's public. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I, I, he's at Facebook, right? Yep. So, yeah, so um, no plan B, that kind of worked. That's his thing, you know, that kind of worked for him. So, um, and it seemed like it worked for you. Yeah, it's... Uh put your back against the wall and you'll be, you'll be surprised what you can do. Um, well, it's funny. It actually, it worked out for me, but it didn't work as I expected. Right. Like I didn't get the job at one of the big companies, but, uh, it still worked out for the better. Right on, right on. All right. So take us back to the beginning. It sounds like you kind of had a non-traditional background in terms of getting into development. Yeah. Uh, how did you get into programming? Yeah. So I didn't, I haven't, I didn't write a line of code until I was 33 years old. So this is what I like about your podcast, Garrick. I love hearing the origin stories of all the, like, that's my favorite thing to listen to when I listen to one of your episodes. Cause I, people come from just all various different backgrounds, you know, whether they've been programming since they were seven years old or somebody like me who didn't write a line of code till 33 um, and then everything in between. So um, that's what I like about your podcast. And that's why I was excited to come on to kind of contribute my story. Cause you're right. It's, it's definitely not the uh, traditional path I would say. Um, so, so yeah, I take you back to the beginning. Um, I went to the military after high school. I was on submarines. That was a pretty cool experience. Uh, but then I realized, so if you're in the military and you do 20 years, you get retirement um, for the rest of your life. It's not enough to live off of, but it's a nice supplemental income. So the decision you have to make in the military is like, do I want to do 20 uh, or just get out now? So I had realized I didn't want to do 20 years. So I got out after four. Uh, the family business was an all-state insurance agent uh, agency. I know you worked at Farmers, so might be a little competitor there. Um, <laughs> so I went and uh, uh, basically worked at the family business out of out of the military and did that for most of my twenties. Um, <clears throat> long story short, had like a I don't know if you want to call it a quarter life crisis, but it was it was more of a maturing where you're just like you know what I want to find a job that uh, I love going to work every day. I don't want a job that I just kind of go through the motions, you know, do my nine to five and get a paycheck, right? I had the realization that it was more about money. Like I didn't care how much I made. I just wanted to go do something I loved. So uh, I made the transition to, uh, I went back to school at the age of 29. So I was a 29 year old freshman in college because the military paid for school. So that was, that was fun. But while I was at school, like I've always been an early adopter. So I knew I was moving out to San Francisco. I'm in Pennsylvania at the time. So during this time, talk about no plan B, I saved up enough money, um, about one year's living expenses in San Francisco. And uh, after school, just moved out to San Francisco, uh, didn't know anybody, didn't have a job lined up, just found a roommate on Craigslist and just said, hey, I'll, I got enough money to last me about a year. Let's see what I can make happen. Um, so I moved out to San Francisco, uh, get a job at a startup called PlayPass. I was just doing like sales and marketing. I was the growth league technically, but it was a five person startup. So you do a, a lot of different things. Uh, 
you know, to make a long story short, I became friends with my developers and started like looking over their shoulder, like, Hey, what are you guys doing? You know what? And obviously I knew like the, the stature of the developer in Silicon Valley, they're like, you know, they're like the quote unquote rock stars out here and, uh, all that stuff. I knew, I knew how like desired good developers were out here. So seeing that I became interested and I really started writing code out of necessity. So I was the growth lead in marketing. So I wanted to make my own landing pages, just HTML and CSS. Well, I felt bad, like bothering my developers who are building like our web app, um, to like make my silly little landing page. So I wanted to learn just how to make static landing pages in HTML and CSS. So that's kind of what got me started. And then once I started doing that on the typical Treehouse, code Academy, just all the ones you, you typically go to, uh, I just kind of fell in love. It was like magic to me. Um, and then after three or four months of doing that, I decided I want to be a full-time developer. Um, and then I'm a, I knew I wanted to go mobile and I'm an Apple fanboy, so it wasn't even a question, Android or, or Swift. Uh, so I uh, started researching iOS dev boot camps and then quit that job to go to a boot camp. Uh, and so again, I quit that job without a job lined up uh, mm. just to go to the boot camp. And then after the boot camp, kind of got my first startup job and then uh, off I went. So yeah, definitely not the traditional path. Okay. There was a lot there. Yep. <laughs> and so we're going to have to try to go back and, and, and you know, kind of piece that together. Um, it sounds like everything was kind of, I mean, you didn't really talk too much about before the military. So it seems like the story really does begin after you get out of the military. Oh yeah. I mean, that was right out of high school. So, um, and you said you were doing like working with summer submarines, you said? Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, <clears throat> doing sonar on submarines. So it's a, it's a very interesting experience. Like I, I love the experience. I had a blast doing it. I just didn't, like I said, didn't want to do the full 20. Uh, it was a fun four years though. Oh, I see. Because like you can either, and you you mentioned this, but you can either um, just kind of do it four years and then you're out, or you can be like a lifer. Well, yeah. Well, so what happens is, like I said, if you hit that hit that twenty year mark, and I hope this hasn't changed. This you know I haven't looked into it in a while, but if you hit that twenty year mark, you can get a retirement check, like I said, for the rest of your life from the military. So what happens is you renew, you uh, reenlist for every four years. So it's like if you do your first four and then you reenlist for your second four, it's just a trap. Like you're like, well, now I'm at eight. If I'm at eight, I might as well do 20. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've been right. halfway there. So, so that's typically what happens. You, you fall into that trap and then you become a lifer, like you said. Uh, not everybody, obviously, but in general. So I kind of realized that and I was like, you know, I've done my four. I don't see myself doing 20. So let's get out now because I'm still only 22 years old, you know. Uh, let's get out now and kind of start start my life. Okay. And is there any um, any interesting story behind why you went into the military to begin with? <laughs> uh kind of it's a little a self-deprecating story but all right i'll tell it Nobody it's tells. up to you if you want to share oh, no no it's 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 not sometimes these topics can be a little sensitive no no not at all because i mean it's just, it's just basically and i think we all feel this way you look back at uh you know 16 year old garrick or 16 year old sean and you're like man that kid was an idiot <laughs> you know <laughs> um but anyway so basically i I was always the smart but lazy kid, right? Like I was a BNC student in high school because not because I wasn't smart, just because I didn't want to work. <laughs> so um, basically my parents had a, uh, I'm going to call it a trust fund, but it's not really, it was only like 20 grand. I just don't want to give the picture that I had like a million dollars waiting for me. Um, yeah. It was like 20 grand and that was either for college or for major like life events. They had saved up our whole life for that. Um, so I, knowing myself, being self-aware, like was like, I'm going to, if I go to college, I'm just going to, fail out. I would have been like the social butterfly, not even, you know, they don't care if you go to class. Like, okay, that sounds awesome. <laughs> you know? So like I knew where I was mentally at that time that that 20 grand, if I would have spent that on college would have just been a waste. So, uh, that's when I started asking questions. Cause my dad was in the Navy as well. Uh, he did the full 20 years and retired. So I started asking questions about that and then, uh, ended up going that route. 
And you said you did uh, sonar. Is that kind of programming related? Uh, no. So so sonar. Well, it's it's kind of funny. Like you think the the Navy and the military on submarines, that's like super high tech state of the art. Like, no, it's a bunch of like seventies era computers on there. It's actually kind of funny, um, that what kind of technology those submarines are still on. Now they have released new ones, but, uh, so no, there was no programming. Um, but sonar is basically just, uh, it's sound navigation and ranging is what it stands for, but basically sitting in the, the front of the submarine and kind of just listening for other boats through the water, other submarines through the water. Uh, most of the time, just listening to whales and dolphins, though. That's what was mostly out there. It's a bit of a technical position, though, isn't it? I mean, aren't you sort of a technician? Aren't those roles when you're like operating them? Yeah. So so when I say I did sonar, I did, um, I qualified that watch. Um, people in the military will understand what that means. But so basically, when you're out to sea, um, you have certain watches you stand throughout the, the day, night or whatever. Um, typically when you, like the role I was in, their typical watch was you drive, drive the boat, essentially a helmsman. Um, so I didn't want to do that. That was boring. Um, but you can qualify other watches where you go like study that job and basically prove that you can do it. And then you can now stand that watch. So because I didn't want to stand a boring watch, I, I wanted to stand sonar because that was more fun to me. And that's where a lot of my friends were, to be honest. Um, so uh, I went and qualified that watch. And that's pretty much what I did when we were out to sea. Okay, cool. And then can you, do you feel like anything that you learned, like the work that you did and, and the things, the experiences that you had uh, in the military doing sonar, like that at all helps you uh, now? Because when I look back on all the schooling I went through and, and law school, as much as I'm like upset, you know, or maybe regret that I spent all this time and this money, I actually feel like the things that I learned, like, can't help with the, the work that I do now in, in programming. Do you feel that way at all? Not necessarily straight up programming, but I would say in emotional intelligence, if you will, like how to work with a team, how to work with people, and how to work with people in stressful situations. Like I know programming might not be all that stressful all the time, but sometimes, you know, if you're coming up on a launch date, it can get, you know, stressful. So dealing with those situations and, and working in a team um, uh, with, you know, a wide variety of personality types, that I definitely hone my skills in that. So I feel like whatever team I go to, I can definitely contribute to and also navigate people's personalities, strengths and weaknesses and kind of like get the best out of them as well. So I definitely learned that in the military. That's great. I, uh, maybe we call those soft skills. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those are really important, um, as important as, as the coding, um, you know, I would say, right? Working on a team. I would say almost. Being a leader. <laughs> I would say equal, if not even more, to be honest with you, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Um, right like when you're, when you're looking to hire somebody on your team, yes, coding is important. But I think the, uh, that the soft skills are, are just as important. Yeah. Okay, so you get out of the military and you join your family's business uh, selling Allstate insurance. Yep. How long did you do that for? Mm, for about six years or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah I did that a lot. And and that was, uh, like I said, that was me just going through the motions uh, in life. You know, like I said, I kind of had this uh, awakening in my late 20s um, where I kind of realized that I wanted to do more with life, wanted to not just go to work every day, nine to five. So that was kind of my uh, my going through the motions years. Yeah, so tell us about that. You called it a crisis, a uh, half-life crisis or a quarter-life crisis. You said something. Take us to that moment when you realized you were just going through the motions. You didn't want to do that anymore. You wanted to find something um, that you were passionate about. You know, passion was greater than money. Um, take us to that moment where you, like, how did you figure that out? Um, yeah, it was just kind of uh, one of those, and, and again, crisis was probably a strong word, but it was kind of one of those, I'm sure we've all had those moments. You just wake up and you're just like, all right, what am I doing with my life? Like, is this who it's I like want to be? a turning point. Yeah, yeah, turning point. I mean, like, 
who who wakes up every day and was like, you know what, I want to be an insurance agent the rest of my life. Like, no offense to the insurance agents out there, but it's not exactly a desired like position. So it was kind of one of those things. Like, do I really want to be an insurance agent the rest of my life? Because the the point of the family business, like my parents were getting ready to retire. They were gonna we owned three offices around the town I was in and it was all going to be like turned over to me essentially. So like my friends thought I was crazy. Like I would have been financially set for life. Uh, it would have been a, a cakewalk of a life, so to speak. So I got a lot of crap when I quit um, because my, you know, I was kind of set up for life. Uh, so I'm very grateful to my parents for, for setting me up like that. But again, it was just kind of the, the battle of like, do I want this e- relatively easy life, so to speak, that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm just going to be going through the motions every day. Or do I want to go find something that I'm passionate about? And then ultimately that one. Yeah. So you said your parents were upset. Your friends looked at you weird. What did you tell them? Um, well, I wouldn't say my, my parents were upset cause they ultimately, you know, they want me to do what I want to do. Right. Um, but, uh, and I don't know, I just kind of told them basically what I told you is like, I just kind of realized that, you know, it's not about the money, right. It's about kind of being happy in life and doing what you want to do every day. Um, which thankfully I have found now in programming. So, uh, I think it all worked out. And the people that, you know, talk to you at that time, let's say your parents, your friends, um, what do they say now? Oh, yeah, they, I mean, we don't, my parents and I have talked about it, you know, they, they definitely feel like I've made the right decision, even though, so I'm from Pennsylvania, even though I'm like on the complete other side of the country, they don't, they don't like that fact. But uh, th- yeah, they know hands down, it was by far the right decision. Um, they've seen kind of how far I've come and what I've done out here, um, pretty much by myself. So uh, yeah, they're, they're thrilled with it now. Okay, so you decide that you uh, want to quit doing the insurance thing. So is that what you do? You quit and you go back to school? Yeah, I quit and just uh, enrolled in, in college because, like I said, the military paid for it. So without going too far off on a tangent, the, the Montgomery GI Bill, like they, I got paid to go to college. It wasn't right. just like pay my tuition. They yeah, like the paid my bill. tuition and a living expense. Uh, so, yeah. The GI good, Bill, right? Isn't that what they call it? Just yeah, the yeah, GI. the Montgomery GI Bill. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a... If anybody that has that that haven't hasn't utilized that yet, like that's a it's a good deal. So you went uh, to school like a four year and got like a bachelor's degree or something. Yeah, so I went. I actually because when you go back as an adult, you're kind of looking at it with a different mindset. Like I was there all business, right? Like I'm not trying to go out, uh, you know, with all the <laughs> exactly um, like ten years older than everybody, uh, and they're all like eighteen. So um, so yeah, so I was there all business. So I did. I got two degrees in three years. So I was doing you know twenty two wow. credits a semester, full time over the summer. Uh, I just went nuts, <laughs> and uh, so I got my degrees in economics and finance because the original plan to come out of the Silicon Valley. Um, yeah, if you would have asked me when I moved out here that I would be a software engineer, I would have said you're crazy. Um, same thing with being a YouTuber. Like if you would have told me one year ago, I'd be a YouTuber again, I'd say you're crazy. So anyway, um, a lot's changed since I moved out here. Uh, where was I going with that? Oh yeah. So the original plan was to get into the whole angel investing venture capital world. Um, like start from the bottom there and kind of work my way up into that world. And that is still the long-term goal. Like my 20 year, retirement plan. I mean, I never want to retire, but my retirement game is I want to be angel investing in Silicon Valley. Um, so that still is the ultimate goal. Um, but I kind of, I'm going on the software engineering detour. I, I relate to that. When I first got into this world that I'm involved in now, I set out to make an app. I wanted to make an app for my phone. And I thought I was going to, I didn't really know. I thought I was going to maybe just be like, like a business development person or like a product, an idea mm-hmm. guy, you know, like yeah. what does that even mean? Uh, and I was looking at this t-shirt that I got the other day uh, from work. It says Tinder engineering and I'm, I'm at home and I'm, I'm like showing the t-shirt to Lucy. I'm like, 
whoa, this is like trippy. Like I'm looking at the shirt, it's a senior engineering, it's my shirt, I work at the company, like I'm an engineer, like I, I could never believe that. Uh, if, so just just like just like you, you know, I set out to do one thing, um, all, but ultimately my goal has always been the same. I want to get involved in this technology thing. That's really what, what it is. I don't know if I want to be an angel investor or I want to own a company or what. I just wanted to be in this area. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, like I said, I, I moved out to Silicon Valley having no idea what I was going to end up doing just because I, for the same reason, like I said, I, I knew I wanted to be involved in the startup world and just this whole technology, like Silicon Valley is like this center of the universe here for technology. So it's like, this is, I knew this is where I wanted to be. Uh, I just didn't know what I was going to do when I got here. Yeah, and for me, develop like being a developer is one of the more interesting ways for me to be involved uh, in it. I don't really like sending a lot of emails or like planning meetings and um, I mean I enjoy talking with teammates and, and talking about concepts and strategizing but I don't know there's something about like being a developer where it's like you're given a task and you complete the task as opposed to like a marketer has to like come up with a strategy and like launch a campaign and hopefully it's successful um, you know and it's kind of like hard to judge or yeah, it, it's funny you bring that up it just triggered my uh, my memory on because I, I think you asked this, like, what led you to be a developer? And I do remember now that you mentioned that. Uh, sorry, it's been about almost three years now, so it's a little little hazy. But uh, no, it was that thing because I was doing sales and marketing, and I remember. So, so PlayPass is a um, it's a company. I'm not even sure they're still around. To be honest with you, um, it's a company that was uh, for recreational sports leagues. So you would basically, if you had an, a basketball league you played in, you would put all that online. They do the standings, the stats, the scheduling, payments, all that stuff. So it was my job to get. Um, basketball leagues, softball leagues, you know, name a sport league onto our platform. So that was pretty much my job. So um, I got in touch with this, uh, uh, it's called Jamtown here in Oakland. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know if I should have name dropped them, but um, <laughs> uh, long story short, the, a deal fell through. I thought I had like a whole league coming on. The deal fell through. And I just, I remember feeling like, I don't know, feeling like a failure is a thing, but like, because when you're a young startup, every customer counts, right? You know, we, yeah. we, were, we were in the phase of going from, you know, zero to 100 customers. It's not like we had a whole customer base. We were trying to get it started. So losing a big account like that, like really like affected me. And I just got upset because like you mentioned, like it was something that was out of my control. And I understand being a good salesman, maybe you can close the deal better, but like basically somebody else's decision like negatively affected my job and my performance. And that's yeah. when I was like, you know what? I don't want that. And that's what was the appeal of programming. Like you just said, you get a task, you build it and your skills are judged based on how well you built that. Right. It's kind of like one-on-one -on -one, you versus the task, right? Yeah. Um, you're judged on that. So that, that was the appeal too. Yeah. I think it's like this objectivity, um, mm -hmm. almost like in, in math, like you have a math problem, you solve the problem and your, your professor just wants to see how you solve the problem. And so the subjectivity, the art in it is how you solve the problem. But the objectivity is like the, the solution. Whereas like the other stuff like marketing, business development, you know, growth, like that's like kind of subjective. It's hard. I mean, the, the result is objective in a way. Like, did you succeed or not? But it's so subjective, like art, you know, um, do people respond well to your strategy? And I don't know. So yeah, I I really enjoy doing this development stuff. Okay, so uh, you you go to school, you get three degrees, you want to become a VC, you join PlayPass after you graduate, right? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, is this in Silicon Valley? You yeah, yeah, this is here okay. in San Francisco. Okay. And then you start doing these like landing pages and that's how you start getting into programming. Mm -hmm. You do that for a little while and you then um, join this iOS dev bootcamp. Um, how, and you actually, you quit your job at PlayPass um, to do the bootcamp full-time, correct? Yeah, yeah, because so, uh, if you guys are familiar with bootcamps, you it's basically every day for eight weeks, you know, 10 hours a day or so. It's kind of hard to have a full-time job and do that. So take us to that moment when you decided, like you were enjoying, you were enjoying like making these landing pages, I guess, and you turned, and then you decided, you leaped to, I want to be a mobile developer. Like take us to that moment. Yeah, well, so it was, it was over time. I just, like I said, I, I caught the coding bug and, and fell in love with the coding. So the, how the, the timeline worked is when I first got there, I was just obsessed with my job, the growth lead. Like how do I get, you know, more people. I was studying all, you know, the acquisition funnels, like all, all the, all the typical startup buzzword stuff on how to get new customers. So, and so basically what would happen is I would do work, I would come home and I would keep doing research on that and keep finding ways to keep doing it. Like I, I was hundred percent devoted to that position. And then slowly over time, as I started catching the coding bug, now when I went home, I didn't even think about my growing the company. I was just thought about learning how to code. Right. And that's what I did when I got home. So it was affecting my my actual job as the growth lead, not because I didn't do it like while I was at work, but you know, my, my attention and my care shifted to learning how to code. Like that's all I cared about. It's like all I wanted to do. Like I couldn't wait to get home from work to do that rather than like stay at work and make sure I did a good job. So that's when I kind of knew it was negatively affecting me. So I gotta, I gotta do something. And how long did it take for you uh, from the moment you, you jumped, you did the second leap uh, and you started studying. So from the moment you took the second leap, to uh, getting to sort of making it, whether that was your first job or the next job where you felt like you had made it? Uh, <clears throat> we'll go to the first job. So it was seven months, roughly, um, wow. from the time from the day I quit to the day I got hired uh, at my first startup job. But I want to say that I got hired um, not for my dev skills. Uh, I got hired at my first startup job. And because, you know, when you do a boot camp and you don't know anything before that, like you've only been learning for eight weeks, it's hard to it's hard to say that you know a lot, you know, don't get me wrong. The boot camps are, are good. They do teach you enough, but you're not, in my opinion, you're not ready for a job based on your dev skills only. Again, what I got hired on was more of my soft skills, my attitude, my work ethic. Um, so I can kind of tell you the story about how I got hired. It's kind of funny and kind of, uh, demonstrates that and might help some people. So, um, and they told me this after the fact. So this is the only reason I know this after I got hired. So basically I, after my technical phone screen, which was a bomb, <laughs> um, they basically put my resume or, or my name into the, into the no pile. Well, after two days of not hearing from them, I, I emailed them and said, basically, excuse me, basically said, uh, Hey, I know that didn't go well. If you can give me a take home project to do like this weekend, uh, I feel like I can really, you know, excel at that. Uh, if you have anything you guys have been working on or you guys have been prototyping, let me know. I'll build that this weekend and send it to you. So I showed the initiative. I didn't wait for them to like come to me. So the fact that I showed that initiative was a plus. Uh, and then the email back right away, like, okay, here, you know, build this. This was the test flow in the app. Uh, so I built that over the weekend, sent that to them. And then like 20 minutes after I sent that email, like, all right, yep, come on down for the final interview. And then the final interview went fine. And uh, so I got hired. So like I said, I, I went from the no pile, showed initiative to say, hey, no, give me another project. And then that got me to the yes pile and eventually hired. Show initiative. I like that. Yeah. All right. So how long did you work at uh, that company? And were, when you started doing iOS dev, like at that boot camp, was it Objective-C? Was it Swift? Yeah, that was, in a, that was an Objective-C. Because um, at that time, so we're talking... 
uh, summer of 2015. So, you know, Swift was, had just come out uh, not too long ago. So, uh, yeah, they were still teaching Objective-C because no, no real code base was in Swift yet because it had just come out. So I don't know if they have since changed that. But, uh, yeah, I learned in Objective-C, and it's kind of funny. Basically, since I graduated that boot camp, you know, over two years ago, I haven't really written Objective-C since. So that first job was a Swift job? Yep. Oh, awesome. How long were you at that company for? Uh, for about a year and a half. And then where'd you go? Uh, then that's when I went to the, that's when the, the Facebook interview happened. And then I went, that's when I made the, the other leap to go all in on that interview process. Okay. So did you ever end up working at Facebook? No, no. I, I went down to their office for the interview, but uh, basically didn't get past the, the interview. Um, and, and looking back on it, like I just, I wasn't ready. I was only a year and a half into my career. Uh, and again, I had just done a boot camp. It's not like I had the CS background. So uh, I wasn't ready, but I still think it was a great experience just to go. And it wasn't just Facebook. I kind of made the rounds to a lot of the major companies, um, but it was just invaluable experience. Uh, just going through all those painful interviews, uh, you know, sitting up there on the whiteboard and, and getting just exposed to that stressful environment. And like, now I know what to expect. So I'm confident when I do go back for the next round of interviews, whenever that may be, I'm still kicking around when I'm going to do that. Um, I'll be much more confident. Okay. And then, so you're doing, you, you were interviewing at Facebook. It didn't go well. How did, I don't, I don't remember. How did that turn into like getting into contracting? Yeah. So, so again, this was, because, you know, the interview process, uh, you know, takes a while, a um, couple months. So basically during that time when I had left, uh, I had just started picking up smaller contracts just to kind of pay the bills while I was interviewing. Um, and then as the interviews started to you know, not work out and not work out and not work out, at that same time, I was, you know, building up contracting, enough contracts where I could do it full time. So I was like, well, all right, let me give this a shot. And it's, I wanted to do that because there's kind of three phases I want to get experience in. So I have experience in the small startup where you're building an app from scratch. Now I have experience in the independent contracting world. My next step that I want to get experience in is the larger companies like a Tinder, like a Farmers or a Facebook to where you're in a, a fairly large uh, engineering team and you're on an app that has millions of users that you're basically just maintaining and building new features for. So I haven't checked that box yet in my experience. Uh, so that's the main reason I'm looking for, for jobs here coming up soon. Okay, so just two, two corrections there. Let's not put farmers, uh, with all due respect to farmers, uh, in the same company as Tinder. Okay. Uh, and I'm just kidding, but I'm serious. Uh, oh, man, way big difference. Maybe, maybe um, I just made the wrong assumption just based on how big the company is. Oh, you just mean a big company? Like, So Facebook is like an, en it's an engineering company, right? It's like that's mostly engineers. Tinder, you know, it's, it's an iOS app. We have an Android app. We have a web, right? So it's its engineering company, yeah. Farmers, it's an insurance company, so it's mostly insurance agents. Gotcha. Okay, anyways, I just have to put that out there. <laughs> you know, I just, I, you know, I got I to gotta do that. Gotcha. No disrespect. Okay, and then the second thing I want to clear up was, are you saying that right now, uh, one thing you're looking forward to in the future is to join a company like uh, like a Tinder or Instagram, Facebook, something like yeah, that? Yeah, so I have a short list of companies, and, and I go back and forth on this. So my original plan was in the beginning of 2018 to, to make the rounds again to my, my short list of companies because, um, A, like I said, I want to go to a good, strong team. Uh, so, that, so that's why I'm not just looking for a full-time job just to have a full-time job, right? It's a, it's a short list because um, I'm, I'm enjoying contracting. Um, so the two paths I can take are to get a big-time big time company here in Silicon Valley, uh, or continue contracting and then just really go all in on the YouTube channel. So that's the fork in the road I have in 2018. Not sure which way I'm going to go yet. Right on. I'm glad to, I wanted to ask you that anyways, like, what are you looking forward to? Um, okay, cool. Sounds like you got some things to think about. 
Um, all right, we kind of already started talking about it, so let's get into it uh, completely. Let's talk about uh, the life of uh, an independent, uh, you know, full-time independent uh, contractor doing iOS development. Mm-hmm. You know, I know your uh, your YouTube channel is kind of about that too, but we can sort of think about it uh, in two different ways. Like, let's just talk about being a contractor and like, you know, how did you, for instance, get your first uh, gig? Yeah, so the first ever gig I got, and this was um, <clears throat> before uh, I kind of got involved with this agency in the full time. This is when I was still working uh, full time at my first startup. Um, but it was just through my roommate's uh, old coworker. He needed some, it wasn't even iOS stuff. It was like some database stuff. That he just needed like a, somebody that was semi-programming competent to like help him out with. So I started with that and then that only lasted like three weeks and he knew I was an iOS developer and he had a lot of like other iOS uh, app ideas. Like he wanted to do a, a TV app, you know, to just stream videos and then one app involving iBeacon. So I was basically building prototypes of those two apps uh, for him. And that was my, my first ever contract. And again, that was just kind of like side work uh, when I was full time. Um, so yeah, so that was my very, very first one. And then, like I said, the other ones just kind of fell into my lap when I was during the interview process. It wasn't, wasn't the plan, right? The plan was to get hired. So how did you go from sort of like a one-off project to then being like, I'm a, like a legitimate contractor. I, um, I'm assuming you have like rates and like, how did you navigate that sort of transition? Yeah. So you have to, the big thing with contracting is is feast or famine. Um, So there's times when, like I mentioned, when I was on five contracts and I have more work than I don't know what to do with, but there's also times when, you know, uh, for example, back around Memorial Day, I had a three week break in between projects. And like on one hand, that's cool. Three weeks vacation, no work, but that's also three weeks of no income. Um, So uh, once I decided to go give it a go full time was when I had enough projects lined up for the rest of the year, basically for the rest of 2017, um, that I knew I could last because sometimes projects are like a two month project. Sometimes it's a six month project. So like I said, once I lined up enough long-term projects that I knew I was good for the rest of the year, uh, that's when I decided to make the leap. But that's kind of, could be difficult to, to sort of plan out, right? Because you're just starting out. You don't really know how much work you can do in a certain amount of time. And you have to evaluate how difficult and time consuming projects are going to be. And then you have to like, you know, give the person a quote and you're you're trying to plan for, for the future, like a few months ahead. How did you, how did you do that? Did you just sort of do, make it up on the fly? Was there anything that you looked to, to consult or did you ask anybody questions? Um, For the most part, it was on the fly. So like I said, the majority of my contracts are through the, uh, the development agency. So they handle all the client stuff. They handle estimates. And so basically I get paid my rate, um, which we'll get into the rate in a little bit, but at that, that contract is currently 70 an hour. Um, so I get paid, um, sorry, where was I going? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I get paid 70 an hour, so they're probably charging and I don't know what they charge, but let's say they charge 120 an hour, right? So they're making money off of me. I'm basically like a subcontractor to them. Right. Um, but the, I, I don't, I don't make as much as I could because, you know, they're making that overhead, but they have the the task of going out there, finding the projects, handling the payments, dealing with the client. Like I just code, <laughs> I get a already built API that I just have to consume. Uh, you know, I have a designer working for me. I just get the designs, get the API documentation and I just build. So that's a luxury, right? Not having to worry about all the other stuff. Um, yeah. That's super cool. Do you get to work remotely? Yeah. I, that's kind of funny too. You know, I live in the most expensive city, you know, downtown and uh, I can live really wherever I want right now because I'm doing contracting, but I still want to be here. 
Yeah, yeah. You can live in a van and cruise the U.S. I could be the digital nomad just going all over the world. Yeah. I want to do that one day. Uh, Yeah, one day. One shiny day. (laughs) So how did you get the job with this agency then? Because it sounds like you were just doing it kind of on your own. Mm -hmm. But then at some point you joined this agency. Was that hard? Uh, yeah, well, so it was never the plan. Just that's kind of the running theme. Like none of this was planned. So they, yeah. uh, like I said, this agency reached out on my uh, Dev Bootcamp alumni Facebook group. Said, "Hey, is anybody looking for a small contract?" So I did that contract. That was converting an old Objective C uh, app to Swift, and it was like a four screen app. It was very simple to do. It only took me a couple of days, um, but that's how I got my foot in the door with this agency. And then they they really liked my work and how quickly I got that done. They're like, hey, we got another project. Are you interested? I'm like, sure. And that one was only like slightly bigger. And then I, again, knocked that one out of the park and they're like, okay, we, I, they didn't say this, but I, I imagine they thought, all right, we got a good one. Okay. Do you, do you want another project? And slowly, but surely I just kept getting bigger and bigger and tougher projects. And then now, like I said, where I'm their, their main iOS guy. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm on like three of their apps right now. So if someone was thinking about following a similar path uh, and becoming a a contractor like you, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, I would do to do it like I did. Like, don't don't just jump, you know, even though I have leaped a lot, don't just jump without a plan. I would start doing contracting uh, on the side while you still have your job, you know, maybe pick up a contract or two, a just to get a taste for it to see if you like it. Uh, And then if you do start kind of building your network, because that's one of the number one questions I get is how, how I get my contracts. How, how do you get all these contracts? And uh, everybody always asks me, you know, what site do you use? Is it Upwork? Is it crew.co or, or whatever? Um, and the truth is, is like, I don't use any sites. It's all from my professional and personal network that I have built up, you know, over time. Uh, I think people are impatient. They want like the quick contracts. But so my first contract that came from my roommate, uh, you know, I had already lived with them for a year before that happened. Um, my uh, how I got with the agency they posted in the Facebook group, you know, a year and a half after I graduated. And then my main contract now is from a guy I used to play basketball with back in my hometown, you know, four years ago. Right. So it's, I know it's easier said than done to like build a network, but that's just really the truth. Uh, your network is going to give you uh, so much more work than trying to do those websites. So, so to answer your question, do it on the side before you make the leap and then focus on your network. Uh, Cause that's where you're going to get the work. I have a lot of people in my Slack team that are, you know, going through or finishing up a boot camp, or they've been doing self-study for six months to a year, and they're trying to get their first um, iOS job, let's say a junior or just their first job. And it just seems like that first job is the hardest. And one thing I've been thinking about is somehow, like, if there's this extra contracting work, like somehow if we could, like, post these tasks, um, and uh, let's say you, you you know, you get this job, you can't take it because, you know, you're, you, you know, you're, um, you already have too much on your plate, but you can kind of like sort of manage it and um, help some junior developers. Mm-hmm. And then we um, just post these um, tasks and you get like a lower rate because you're kind of, maybe you're a junior, somehow the numbers would have to work. And then these uh, junior developers are kind of getting their first you know, experience going. Mm-hmm. And then that way, when they go into a job interview, they're, they're not saying like, oh, this is my first job. Um, they're able to say like, oh, I've been working as a, you know, contractor and these are the things I've built. No, uh, yeah, it, it's actually, I've actually already started uh, doing that. I'm just experimenting with it. Okay, so I have awesome. my own, so I have a Patreon community around my YouTube channel. And then I also have a Slack channel um, for that Patreon community. And there's probably about 50 to 60 people in there. And, um, 
I just started experimented with subcontracting because uh, in one of my vlogs, like there was a time when, like I said, when I was on five contracts and I had to turn down three new contracts, like all within one week time. So I was like, man, like I feel like you just mentioned, I was like, I feel bad, you know, letting all this work slip when I know the number one question I get every day is how do I get contracts? How do I get contracts? So I'm like, I, I got to be able to bridge this somehow. Yeah. So uh, one of my longtime uh, patrons uh, and I are just working out on, on subcontracting. We're experimenting with it because I, I had never done it before. So I wanted to make sure it can work and kind of work out the kinks with him first. And he knows he's the guinea pig. <laughs> so he, he's willing to, to do all this with me. So um, yeah, if, if that works out and goes smoothly, and once I work out the kinks, um, I was going to open it up to my, my Patreon community to uh, yeah start, start subcontracting. But uh, I, I definitely awesome. agree with you and like the idea. That's awesome. Good for you. And if you need more, um, you know, people to sort of that need their first gig, feel free to post that stuff in my Slack team. Yeah, we'll do. Um, I think that's a great idea. You, you know, you just have to balance like not becoming a project manager. Maybe <laughs> exactly, at some yeah. point you can hire a project manager. And so you're just, you're like an account manager, uh, and, and you have a project manager maybe that you interface with. Yeah, and, and that, that all cool. ties into the to the YouTube channel because that's another way you mentioned how I get contracts is obviously, and I'm sure you've had many doors open up for you because of the podcast, um, kind of similar things are happening to me to the YouTube channel. Um, people request contracts for, from me from you know watching my videos and they kind of know my work and know my personality. So that's another way I get the contracts. Well, I want to talk about your YouTube videos. Before we do that, I have one more question about uh, like life as an independent contractor. This uh, specifically relates to Swift. Are you able to tell us about how um, Swift makes your job easier or harder as an independent contractor? Uh, is there anything that you've sort of noticed over over the years? Um, I would say not really, just because uh, Swift is basically all I know. <laughs> I mean, I know a little <laughs> HTML and CSS and yeah. minimal JavaScript, and I actively try to avoid Objective-C. So uh, I've been lucky enough that pretty much my whole career, every project I've worked on has been 100% Swift. So um, yeah, it's kind of hard to compare it to another language or anything like that, because that's pretty much all I've worked in, which I consider myself lucky. Um, yeah, I totally understand. I mean, I'm just like that. I don't really have anything to compare it to either. How's it going then? Can we talk about that? Like some people might say Swift is not production ready. Uh, I mean, you know, there's a plenty of apps that are shipped in Swift, mm -hmm. but these bigger companies... Not all of them are switching to it because of different different reasons, um, depending on you know the evolution of the language. So, is there anything like that that's a concern for you in the independent contract work that you're not, doing? Yeah, not not in the types of apps I do. So, just to give some context on the types of apps I typically uh, typically build, they're not like huge you know Facebook level apps. Obviously, um, these are typically smaller startups that are just looking to get their first app. So, I typically build from scratch to their very first MVP. Um, kind of in that phase is where I build. So. When you're building that early, you know, prototype, Swift is definitely more than capable. I imagine, and again, I don't know, but I imagine where Swift shortcomings come into play is for, you know, the larger companies, uh, the teams that have, you know, scale and stuff like that. How many of these apps would you say that you've built by now? Probably that are actually like launching on the app store. It's five, um, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. Somewhere wow. in that range. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And have you sort of developed your own style? Um, let's say... These apps are, you know, for the ones that are kind of generally the same, have you developed your own kind of style and pattern? Oh, for sure. Um, and, and a lot of that has been helped by this development agency. So my first startup, which was one of the detriments and one of one of the reasons why I left is I didn't really have a, a mentor there, a, a senior dev to like help me. Uh, there was an iOS team of two and we were both fairly junior. So a little bit of the blind leading the blind sometimes. So I was looking for like a mentor because I felt like 
Like I'm very happy with where I'm at in my career, but I felt like had I had that senior dev to sit next to every day and just soak up knowledge from, I would be so much further than where I'm at right now. Um, so that was one of the main reasons I, I left uh, was to get that uh, mentor. So do you have, like, are you basically just doing like MVC uh, style and using delegation uh, or have you developed like your own kind of style or if it is, you know, just like the, you know, MVC, like, do you have any YouTube videos on this kind of pattern, uh, these patterns that you use? So it is mostly MVC. Um, we have one project that was an MVVM, um, but I was, I was only on that project as a secondary dev. So I, I didn't dabble too much into that code base, but uh yeah, so what ha typically happens with our, our contracts is the client is always under a time crunch, you know? Um, you never have the luxury of months and months and months to work on something. Right. So typically you, you go with what you know in that case. Um, unless the client specifically requests it, there's not much time to experiment with like Viper or MVVM or anything like that. So right. we kind of stick to tried and true, mainly due to time constraints. All right, so I wanna hop over to your YouTube channel and I'm just taking a look at some of your videos. What was like the last video? Uh, that you like most recent video that you've posted. So that would probably be my last week's live stream. And I haven't, so I try to do three videos a week. I didn't do any this week because, um, another story about the life of contracting. So we, the app I'm working on now had a December 1st launch date. And then now something came up where the company has an opportunity that now they want to launch on November 20th. So I went from having, you know, roughly 20 days to finish this project to now eight. <laughs> so wow. this week has been like nothing but that. So YouTube has slacked off this week, um, but it's kind of the, the life of the contractor. Right on. No, but I'm looking at your videos. First off, I really like your page, uh, the way it looks. Your cover art for each of your videos is very professional looking. I'm sure that really helps in getting um, uh, views. Uh, Let's talk about maybe this playlist, this Swift interview tips. Can mm -hmm. you tell us a story behind that playlist? Yeah, so this actually kind of ties into why I built the YouTube channel. Uh, so it's a good good segue slash maybe two birds, one stone answer. So the Swift interview tips and the whole reason I bought, or I bought, <laughs> I started the YouTube channel um, was basically a marketing for myself. Um, because I remember at the time that I started it, I was going through all these interviews and basically getting my butt kicked on the interview circuit, uh, just to be, be frank about it. And so I kind of thought, I was like, you know what? I want something to where I don't even have to interview because I feel like I win, this is kind of tangential, I feel like I win, I win the deep game, but I lose the shallow game. What I mean by that, if somebody just looks at my resume, you know, before I had the YouTube channel, um, I'm going to lose that game when you compare me to another developer of my experience level or they have a you know computer science background, whatever. Surface level, I'm going to lose. However, I feel like the deeper you get and the more you get to know me and the more you see my, my work ethic, my attitude, just my life outlook, like that's when I start to win. So my thought process was like, okay, how do I get these people interviewing me as deep as possible into to knowing me and, and having a feel for who I am and also showing off my knowledge? So that's kind of where the YouTube channel got its uh, start. And I started with this, these Swift interview tips and I have, I don't know, 15 or so videos um, that basically go through every interview question, right? And I actually, it's kind of funny. Um, one of my interviews I went on uh, towards the end of my rounds, like they said, well, I saw your YouTube channel and uh, I'm just gonna ask you completely random stuff because you already answered all the typical <laughs> questions that I asked. <laughs> and that was kind of the goal, right? If you, if you look through this list, just the topics of them, I mean, that's like a who's who of interview questions. Yeah, the one that um, keeps coming up is um, like the retain cycle, automatic reference counting, memory leak, this mm -hmm. one. Um, 
I feel like that that always comes up in the interviews that I've participated in. So if you guys are listening, definitely study up on that one. Watch uh, Sean's uh, video number 10 on this playlist. <laughs> and I think why people resonate with me too is because I, the, the majority of the audience for my channel is people trying to be self-taught, just learning on their own, you know, doing it as a side project. So, and that's where I came from. So I think the way I present, because I get the, uh, a, a comment all the time about how like relatable I am and how honest and open I am. And it's because I, I think they resonate with that. It's because I came from their, the same spot they did, right? Like I was doing it by, by myself, didn't have a computer science background. Um, so when I explain things, I remember what I got hung up on. And then I also remember the key that like unlocked the knowledge, you know? And I, so I try to um, present it in that way. So I think that's why people resonate with it. So I'm looking at one of your videos, Cracking the Coding Interview Event at Lyft. <laughs> yep. What's that video about? That's funny. That's I mentioned it earlier. That was uh, That's actually where I met Andy Hope. Um, kind of. I think it's funny. So anyway, Andy had reached out to me on Twitter because he saw my Facebook videos, and he was obviously interviewing at Facebook. And uh, we just had a brief Twitter DM interaction, you know, whatever. And then, so I didn't even know he was coming to San Francisco. So I go to this event. So it was at Lyft. And that's the good thing about living in San Francisco. All of these companies are here and they always have events here. So the author of Cracking the Coding Interview, Gail Lockmantel, uh, she was presenting basically interview tips at Lyft live and in person and talking about the book. So I was like, yeah, I'll go to that because um, I was like kind of in the interview process. So I walk in and I don't really know anybody there, right? <laughs> so I walk in, I'm walking through and then I just hear, Sean. And I'm like, I'm kind of creeped out because I'm like, I don't know anybody here. <laughs> I'm like, who is calling my name? And then it was Andy. And then even it turned out, like, I've like looked back at me. I'm like, me? You're talking to me? Because I didn't recognize him because all I had to go on was a little Twitter bio profile, right? You know, it's kind of hard to tell who it is from there. And then he's like, oh, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. It's like, oh, hey, Andy. What's up? Um, but it was just kind of funny because, uh, you know, I had no idea who he was. It was a little awkward. Um, so that was recently? Yeah, this was just two months ago. Yeah. Oh, man, that's cool. So, so but that was a cool event, uh, especially if you were trying to go to the interview uh, process. You know, she was there. Um, talking about all kinds of tips. Uh, and obviously Lyft wanted you to apply. That's kind of the whole reason why they did it. Let's see which video is your most popular video. Oh, what's new in Swift 4? Yeah, that one took off. Because um, uh, yeah, I launched thousand views. I put that out like right the day, like day one of WWDC. Um, and yeah, so it, that had, that's had two waves of views. It had that wave, like the WWDC week wave. It got a lot of views. And then obviously when Swift 4 officially came out, um, got another, another wave of views. Yeah, we were actually just talking about this uh, in our uh, little Swift lab that we do at work. Uh, we're just uh, kind of revisiting Swift 4 because um, we uh, recently converted our project to Swift 4, uh, which was a big you know, internal kind of co accomplishment, right? Pat, pat yourself mm -hmm. on the back. So we um, started talking about what's new in Swift 4. I shared a little algorithm that... Uh, my uh, ex-coworker, Daniel Ainoa, shout out to Daniel, uh, we uh, created uh, basically using key paths to create these uh, sections and rows, almost like the contacts app where mm -hmm. you have all your contacts sorted by maybe last name or first name. Uh, and we were using key paths, so I shared that. It was really cool. Uh, I love the key path feature. Obviously, Codable is awesome. Um but the key path uh, thing is really cool. Have, have you played around with that at no, all? No, I haven't. You mentioned Codable. I've been wanting to mess with that a lot, um, but I haven't. <laughs> and uh, you know, I still have all my old networking code. I want to go through and redo that, but uh, I hear that's life-changing. Right on. And the uh, next most popular video is iOS 11 Navbar Update. Is that like for the large titles? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that must be 
people must be checking that out a lot because that was not my that was not up near the top. That must be a recent thing when it first came out, and everybody's updating their <laughs> their apps. Yeah, eleven thousand views. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's all that is. Just the the large titles. It's literally like one line of code. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, next is iOS interview questions. So what are some, what's that, like, what's that? Well, uh, well that video is kind of the, uh, so going back to that playlist of the interview tips, that video is kind of the overview where I say all the questions I'm going to dive into. And then I give like a very surface level answer in that video. Uh, it's kind of like the summary video of the whole playlist. And then the rest of the playlist is me doing a, you know, 10, 15 minute deep dive into that specific topic. Okay. And what kind of response are you getting from people? Uh, you have almost 9,000 subscribers. You have tens of thousands. I mean, I don't know if you add up all your views. I don't know how, how many that is, but you have a lot of views. Um, what kind of response are you getting from people? I'm looking, <clears throat> looking up, up, up your answer real quick on the number of views. I'm not sure. Yeah, like a total number. I mean, it must be. It's 263,000. Whoa, that's a good number. So, yeah, it's been around for like eight months. I'm still fairly new. Um, but yeah, I'm, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm happy with the, uh, how it's gone so far. And like, like you mentioned, the response I get, um, just looking through the comments and the emails, and I'm, I'm sure you kind of get this too with the podcast, but you know, people just thanking you all the time. Um, yeah. People, okay, this is going to sound like I'm blowing my own horn here, but we're just going to go with it, whatever. <laughs> but like, yeah, every day that, you know, I, I literally get emails or messages every day saying, thank you. You inspire me so much. Thank you. And, and I'm starting yeah. to actually collect, um, cause I'm going to make a video on it. Like, you know, Sean Allen's success story, so to speak. Uh, a lot, oh, I'm, I've gotten like five or six people that have literally said like, you got me a job. You know, th this, oh, I, this iOS interview tips got me a job here and they like tell me this story, uh, about it. So like that, that's an awesome feeling. Like I said, I'm sure you've kind of had a little bit of that too. Um, with all the, you know, your meetups and the, the podcasts and everything. So yeah, the, the response has been, uh, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's very similar. How do you deal with that? I mean, does it add like, I, obviously it's encouraging and it, it's like kind of, an, it's inspiring, right? You feel like, I mean, that's why you did it in the first place mm -hmm. in a way. Right. Yeah. Um, but does it ever sort of feel like it's too much pressure or, or yeah, I mean, sometimes like, like today, like I didn't do my live stream and I like genuinely felt bad because I know there was 50 or 60 people like waiting there, you know, to watch it. Um, but yeah, it's, you, you do feel it's like in this extra layer of obligation now that I feel, which it's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about it, but like you said, it, it's pressure and, um, people like wait for my videos every week and stuff. And if I don't pull one out, I'll get messages like, Hey, where are the videos at? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just this extra level of uh, obligation. I totally relate to that. I actually, I got a Twitter message, I think it was, uh, from somebody. I was like kind of playing around with changing the format of the podcast, and he emailed me, and he was like very direct. <laughs> and maybe English wasn't his first language, and he was like, um, you changed your format. I like the old format. Please go back to the old format. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well, I kind of want to, you know, I want this to be fun for me, right? And mm -hmm. so if, if one day fun for me is like slightly different than what I normally right. do, like that's what I'm going to do. Um, no, I, I feel you on that. Cause I, I do the same thing with my variety of video types. Like I can tell them the number of views, like not everybody likes my vlogs. Like they want tutorials, right? Remember how I said, I want my channel to be more than tutorials, but there's certain people that they don't care about me. They just want tutorials. Um, so it's nice to be able to like, uh, you know, expand your content into different areas. Cause that's what keeps it interesting for me. If all I did was tutorials, I probably would have quit YouTube a while ago. I would have got bored. <laughs> What is the meetup scene like where you live? Is there a Swift meetup? Uh, yeah, it's a Swift language or yeah, Swift language users group. It's called Slug. That's out of the Realm offices. 
Um, right. Yeah, it's very really advanced focus, though, right? Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. There's no, I don't even really know if there is a, I know you guys do the, the Learn Swift, you know, insert city here. I don't think there is like a, a specific one for like people just beginning Swift. And you live in San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah, it seems odd to me that like no one in San Francisco has reached out to me or reached out to us um, saying they want to start Learn Swift San Francisco. I mean, is it mostly like working people already? Like there's no sort of people just getting started or uh, like I mean, in- the people I've talked to that are, are getting started are you know like i said they are working in a full-time job and they're trying to start on the side and there's certainly people there for that um so i, I definitely think there would be a market here so yeah it, it does surprise me too that there's not a, a beginner one because i remember going to this uh swift language users group when i first started out and it was all way over my head <laughs> like I, I got no value out of it because i didn't understand what they were talking about yeah yeah hmm. have to keep an eye on that all right, Sean. Well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I feel like we got a good understanding of, of your life, the work that you do as an independent, the YouTube channel. One question I had was where do you sort of see the YouTube channel going? I mean, we kind of talked about this uh, with maybe doing your own sort of subcontracting. You mentioned that you are looking to maybe get a full-time gig at a bigger company, uh, but you're like what are what are you with this YouTube channel? Are you going to continue to do the YouTube channel? Where do you see it going? You're building your own community too. You have a Patreon page and you have a Slack team. Like where do you see your sort of community that you're building going? Yeah, I would love. So th- like I mentioned, the, the 2018 fork in the road, um, where I said it's either big company or contracting, but cut back on the hours and really go all in on YouTube. I'm actually leaning towards that because right now me me doing the 40 to 50 hours of contracting and then trying to do YouTube when I can, like I see all the opportunities that are being left on the table with YouTube. Like there's so much more I could be doing, you know, like transcribing my videos to medium posts, um, you know, converting them into podcast form, uh, putting out a podcast. Like I could be doing so much more to grow my channel, my community, my brand, and just impact more people. So I feel like I'm leaving a lot on the table by not like focusing on it. It feels like a missed opportunity and that kind of bugs me. So that's why, like I said, in in 2018, I'm kind of leaning more towards not even applying to big companies uh, yet and just really focus on YouTube. Because like I said, I want to make that community as large as possible and help the most people out. So you enjoy making the videos and you enjoy focusing on the community. Oh yeah, for sure. And and that's another reason why I did this because I wanted to start getting involved in the Swift community because as I'm sure you're aware, the Swift community's awesome. And I wanted to start, instead of just consuming it all the time, I wanted to start contributing to it. So that was another reason why I started it. And, uh, and like I said, as, as I mentioned before, the, the doors that are going to open in the future, the larger this brand and community gets are just completely unforeseen. Like I have no idea what they're going to be, but I, I have faith that they'll be good. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that. I, I struggle with a similar kind of dilemma. Um, I, I don't put that much effort into um, the, the podcast and the, the the meetups and the community. Other people look at it and they might think I am. Um, but, you know, most of my time and my, my energy and my mind like goes into my full-time, uh, full-time job as it should. And then, you know, I have my family, you know, like my wife and my, um, and, you know, obviously enjoying life. Um, and, and so if I feel like, if I put more work into it, yeah, like more into the community, like it could be better, it could grow. And luckily I have, uh, it's not just me, right? There's uh, Raga and Steven and you know, like all these other people in the community that are helping out too. Um, but it's something I struggle with. Like, 
do I, I don't know if I want to, like, I love community building. That's like the impact I do want to make is, like, is affecting positively, like, the community. But I, I'm, for some reason, like, I'm more interested in learning to be the best uh, developer and, like, and I guess, like, yeah, leader, like developer um, that I can be. Um, so I don't know, it's something I struggle with. No, I mean, I know what you're saying. I feel kind of the same way, like, because I have thought about going YouTube full time. And then, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, Sean, you've been doing this for two and a half, three years. Like, you don't, you can't be the the thought leader in the space with only two and a half, three years. So that's kind of why I wanted to go get more experience at the larger companies before I went like full time, you know, just personality thought leader kind of thing with the YouTube channel. So I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I almost feel like I'm not ready to be that yet. Um, but at the same time, I just feel like I'm, like I said, leaving a lot of opportunity on the table by only just doing it in my part time. Yeah, well, I don't want to put any doubt in your your mind that you're not capable or anything like that. I think um, as long as what you're saying is, is correct and you're doing like, you know, you're doing your homework, I think that it's fine if you only have, I mean, you, you've been doing this for well, you know, good amount of time, right? 2015, I think you mentioned. Yeah, it's about two, two and a half to three years, uh, somewhere in that and, range. You know, Swift is still new. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people who have been doing it longer, but um, ultimately, I feel like it's just like the results. If people are liking what you're creating, they're getting jobs because of it, like, I think it's fine for you to step into the, that, that, those shoes and own that, that role. Um, and, you know, feeling like maybe you need to learn more, like you can, you don't have to be at a big company to do that. Uh, but you did say like, it's a kind of like environment that you want to be in. You haven't been in that big team environment uh, where you're working. So I totally get that. And that's, that's what I'm like enjoying now, like having this big team that I work with lots of um, senior developers that I'm you know, learning under. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do get that though. Um, what... What what are your thoughts on being able to support yourself? Like, let's say you did go all in on the YouTube, like you would still take contracting work? Yeah, so um, I do, like I said, about 40 to 50 hours a week right now. I feel like I could survive off 25 to 30. So I could free up 20 hours a week um, to devote just to YouTube. So yeah, it would be a mixture. Um, so that might be like the two, that might be the 2018 formula. And then 2019, hopefully uh, YouTube is built up to go full time because with YouTube, uh, and it might be similar to podcasting, like your YouTube, you're not going to pay the bills with just ad revenue unless you're, you know, million subscriber plus. Uh, so YouTubers have to have, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine revenue streams. That's where the Patreon comes in, uh, you know, affiliate links, selling eBooks, selling, building a course and selling a course. Um, so that's where all the, that's where if I went full time, that's where I would focus on is building up the other revenue streams, um, which I just don't have the time to do right now. Right on. Yeah. Okay, well, I wish you the best of luck with that, and I look forward to seeing like where that goes. Um, before we end, uh, let's do something fun. Um, we can hop over to uh, your Twitter, uh, your Twitter uh, profile, and uh, take a look at it. I like this uh, profile picture of yours. Can you tell us about it? <laughs> the the black and white one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very so that dramatic. Was, that was me uh, hacking profile pictures. So. Um, it looks kind of professionally taken, but that's really just, I put my camera up on 60 frames per second and just started filming and just like slowly started doing cheesy poses because I needed a bunch of profile pictures. And, uh, that way when I put it in final cut, I could just pause it. And because it was 60 frames per second, there's no blur and it looked like a still photo. Um, so I was able to get like the perfect, you know, 
photos I want. So I ended up with like six or seven different profile pictures out of it. Um, That's but, pretty cool. So you're saying that you have your iPhone on super slow-mo or something? Uh, well, it was actually my, you probably could do it on an iPhone, but I did it on my, just my actual like DSLR. Um, yeah, you, you, you start filming on a high, a very high frame rate. doesn't necessarily have to be slow-mo, um, but just a super high frame rate. So you don't get the motion blur. And then just, I slowly started, you know, making some poses. And, um, like I said, when I went back into final cut, I could just go frame by frame to find like where the pose was per- you know, perfectly how I wanted it. And then I just, you know, screenshotted it and that was that. Oh, that's cool. And then your banner is the, that's the Golden Gate Bridge, I guess. Uh, that's the Bay Bridge. It's actually the view from my apartment building. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so it's, I live in a little studio. It's not much space, but the location is uh, pretty good. Yeah, that's a nice view. And uh, bio, uh, iOS engineer Swift, iOS dev YouTuber, basketball junkie, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, hodling? Hodling. Hodling. It's a cryptocurrency thing. Um, If you're into like Bitcoin and all that stuff, uh, hodling just means hold. Because a lot of people try to like trade it, like stock trading too much. And really the best thing to do is probably just to uh hot instant internet thing like um you know it it was stood for hold and somebody like misspelled it once and then you know how the internet goes now it's like misspelled forever and then they also like coined the term like hold on for dear life because that's when you're when you're riding the bitcoin roller coaster that's pretty much what you got to do okay yeah i'm a little bit into the crypto and blockchain have a little couple couple bits of a bitcoin there you go and got some ethereum and some litecoin nice um been following it the last couple days it went from like 7,000 down to like five 5,000 something. It's pretty interesting yeah, it, watching it. It's a roller coaster for sure. Yeah, but I hold, I held on to them for sure. I, I mean, I held on to my bits of a bit. Mm-hmm. I like. um, okay, and then maybe we take a look at uh, one of your last um, tweets. Um, so cool, like mostly um, mentioning the videos that you're doing. And uh, let's see. Yeah, for the most part, so, I, I talk about my videos and then I try to retweet some some good stuff that other people post. Uh, and I try to keep it iOS focused as much as possible. Yeah, it pretty much is. Right on. All right. Well, uh, anything else you want to uh, mention, uh, Alan, before we... Uh, Sean, I don't know why I keep saying <laughs> that, Alan. That, that happens all the time. Don't worry. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> Two first I, names. Yeah, I don't know. I guess because... Oh, uh, yeah. I guess maybe... Yeah, Sean Allen. I don't know why. Allen just seems like a first name to me, I guess. No, like I said, you're, you're about the millionth person to do that, so don't feel bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anything before uh, before we go? Uh, no, that was it. I just wanted to, you know, thanks for having me on. Like I said, I know you've had some some of the, the big hitters in the community on here, so I'm honored to be on here and uh, share my, my origin story because, like I said, that's my favorite part of your podcast. So I felt like I had an interesting one and happy I got a chance to share it. Hopefully people yeah. can get some uh, inspiration from it. Yeah. You know, I feel like I haven't done this in a while, so why don't we do it? How about we do a, a one piece of advice for people learning Swift? Uh, so my one piece of advice is always um, persistence and perseverance. Maybe that's two. <laughs> um, but uh, a lot of people give up too quickly. They And I know I did. I got real discouraged when I wasn't learning it fast enough because things have always like come easy to me. Uh, but this was a very humbling experience, learning how to program. And uh, you know, I, I preach that just persistence, repetition, patience. Uh, it takes a long time to learn and get good at programming. Uh, and I think people give up way too easily. So stick with it, find a mentor, whether that's reaching out on Twitter to people. I always preach, you know, be active on Twitter and reach out to people. People are very helpful. Um, yeah, try to find a mentor and, and be patient. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with the patience um, and perseverance and persistence. All the P's. <laughs> Get all your P's lined up. There you go. Um, all right, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing your story with us. Uh, you know, you were in the military, working on the uh, submarine, doing sonar, and uh, you didn't. You decided you would prefer to do something else than be a lifer. So after your four years, you left and you joined your uh, company, uh, you know, your family's company doing the Allstate insurance thing. You did that for quite a while, six years, and uh, you had a turning point and you felt like you were going through the motions and you didn't want that. You wanted to find your passion. Um, passion was more important than money. You could have stayed and, and been set up for the rest of your life, but uh, yeah, you wanted to find something that you were passionate about. So you, uh, no plan beat it and you just quit and you went back to uh, school and you got three degrees and your goal was to be a VC and, and you still have that that goal. So good luck to that. Um, and after you graduated, you started working at this play pass, you know, kind of doing sales and marketing. Um, that's actually how I got into it. I, I was working at this company on a way doing sales and marketing. And while you were working at play pass, you started kind of doing a little bit of coding, doing these landing pages and you got the coding bug and you had another big turning point in your life when you decided this is something I want to get into you had this coding book so you quit again no plan b and you um, participated in this ios dev boot camp what boot camp was it by the way uh, it was called mobile makers they're actually not oh, around yeah. anymore they, oh yeah they got bought out by a uh, hack reactor and then they pivoted to uh, high schools so they're no longer like open to the public they just focus on teaching high schoolers ios development which i can support i like that wow i didn't know that yeah i had uh, don bora on yeah, yeah one of the professors of mobile makers i think he's one of the founders yeah, there you go. So I'm familiar with Mobile Makers. Awesome. So you went to the Mobile Makers Dev Boot Camp, and um, then really it was only seven months that it took from that the time you decided and you quit and you joined the boot camp to getting your first job uh, at that startup. And uh, you worked there for a year and a half, I think you said, and then you started interviewing at big companies like Facebook, and it didn't go so well. But through that process, you realized um, that you you know you have you're good on the long game but uh, the short game is tough so you started building your your online profile with your youtube channels and giving these tips on coding you know coding interviews and you started getting contract work and you ended up just doing the contracting thing full time and that's where you are now and you have a great youtube channel and um, you're coming up on another little sort of fork or, or turn um, and you're gonna you're trying to decide what you're gonna do are you gonna join a big company or are you going to go all in on your youtube and so i wish you luck on that decision i look forward to seeing where it goes and yeah i'll talk with you later all right thanks garrick appreciate you having me on and that's the show ladies and gentlemen i hope you enjoyed listening to the swift coders podcast feel free to share the show with a friend leave a review on itunes or recommend us on overcast if you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.